Welcome to VR Hermits, a podcast about virtual reality development. I'm Dave Ramsey. And I'm Joe Simpson. How's it going, Dave? Doing good, Joe. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. What have you been working on? Uh, I started playing with some VR stuff. Hooray! <laughs> actual VR in actual Unity. It was painful and awesome and very very weird yeah so walk us through like where did you start so i started i wanted to have access to all the cool stuff we were talking about last week with um pro builder Mm -hmm. being rolled in so i went and downloaded uh well first the unity hub and then the 2018.1 beta and tried it out and couldn't get the um the the vive input utility Mm -hmm. to compile i even went and grabbed the latest and greatest version out of the github and that wasn't there either um So that was kind of a pain, and I poked around with that for a while, and then bumped into some other problems and was like, this is why I don't do betas. I always want to do betas. I always want to give people good testing input and things like that, but usually when I'm digging into those things, it's because I want to start a new project, and I really want to start a new project, so Mm -hmm. I just had to move on. So I went ahead and opened uh, 2017.3. There's a fun thing. If you installed 2017.3 without the hub, the hub can't find it. Uh, yes, you can. You just open the hub and browse for the version. Well, oh, okay. But by default, it doesn't. Yeah. But it does see the projects. Mm-hmm. So it saw the project that I'd created in 2017.3, but then couldn't open it because it couldn't see that version of Unity. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you just have to browse to like where the Unity EXE is. Yeah. Um, it, it's certainly fixable. It was just kind of fun. I was yeah. like, it's right, it's there. <laughs> just just open the thing. I mean, that tool's um, in beta too. Yeah. Um, and eventually what I'd do is just probably kill it and reinstall, but... Um, So, um, yeah, rolled back to 2017.3 and everything kind of worked. But by that point, I was not really any longer in the mood to necessarily mess with the Vive input utility. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because I'd already, like, removed it and added it and removed it and added it and I was just kind of done. And the Steam VR kit stuff didn't have a problem. So... I just went ahead and added that and it started going because I wanted to play and I wanted to get something working and I was pretty sure I could get that working. And then I did. And I had a thing on a plane and it was all great. Look, VR. Um, I was also having a weird problem with um, Steam alone under 2018.1 where basically my frame rate was messed up. Hmm. There was some sort of, um, uh, oh gosh, what was the error message? 
it was about objects being instantiated more than four frames ago or something like that, suggesting a memory leak. Hmm. And there's a error message being kicked out every single frame. Huh. And what it ended up doing was cutting my frame rate about in a quarter. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> yeah, it was, I mean, it was, it was VR, but it was more like, you know, 2013 VR. VR with a strobe light. Yeah. Yeah. So all of that together was just not giving me the experience that I wanted. So 2017.3 Steam VR kit ready to go. Um, and so I started playing around. Let's see, where did I go first? I very quickly made a cube, pick up the cube, put down the cube, pick up the cube, throw the cube. Cube goes 90 degrees the wrong direction. So before, Just, like, you're working with the camera prefab, or are you working with the interaction player prefab? Uh, just the camera prefab. Okay. So how are you picking things up? Like, what, what code did you write to do that? Um. Wow. That code worked relatively well from the beginning, and so I can't really think about it. It was uh, adding a joint. I added a fixed joint to attach the object to my hand. Okay. So, like, what do you... How did you get the controllers in the scene? Are you Are you looking at, like... Uh, 3D image of the Vive controllers, or is it some kind of boxy? Uh, it's 3D else? image of the Vive controllers. Okay. Um, I started looking from a Ray Wenderlich getting started with Steam VR tutorial. Okay. Just to, and I didn't even finish the thing. It was just, just got to the point where I could just go, "Hey, look, a controller," and then, "Hey, look, I picked something up with the controller." And I'm like, "I'm off and running. Let's go." Um. <laughs> Like, the second section of that tutorial was, hey, here's how to get the pointer laser thing. Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't care. I'm picking stuff up and moving. It was just off and running. Um, So, yeah, the way that tutorial has it going is you... uh, When you pull the trigger, it notices that you're inside a particular object, and if that object is of passing particular xyz test you can pick it up and picking it up is done by adding a fixed joint between the end of the controller and your click point in the object Hmm. and so at that point any translation that gets applied to the controller gets applied to the object nice without actually making it a child or anything like that um And so, yeah, just move the thing around. Everything's great. And then when I wanted to, I could just release and the thing would move in totally the wrong direction. (laughs) And that one took me a while to chase down. And it ended up being because when I first set up the world, everything was basically where I wanted it to be. But then I found that every time I was starting the thing, I was rotated Mm. so I instead just rotated the camera and everything was fine and so I picked up objects and started throwing them and whatever I'd done to rotate the camera caused that rotation to be applied to the direction of the force that was being applied to the objects as I released them yeah there is a technical fix for that what you have to do is rearrange your room 
just make it the mirror opposite of what you have now. So you have to move all your furniture. You may have to tear some walls down and remove some doorways or whatever. But it's just a hardware oh. issue. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just oh. remap your entire house. Okay. Well, all I did was, yeah, just rotate the world. I mean, not, not actually rotate, but yeah, I just moved things around. It was a very simple world at that point. So it wasn't a huge problem. I hadn't built a ton of stuff. Well, basically, yeah, like pick up box, throw box. And the problem was I had one box. <laughs> so I could start the thing and pick up the box and throw the box and then the box is gone. Mm-hmm. And then I got to stop it and start it again to get another box. So I started playing with making a thing that would make more boxes. And I spent a lot of time on a box maker. There's a video on um, the YouTube feed Mm -hmm. about one of, uh, let's call it actually one of my successes. (laughs) (laughs) Because it does actually make boxes. It sure does. I, I had a little sphere and overlapping the sphere is a box. And when you pulled the, a box out of the sphere, it would make another box. And so the idea was I could just reach down and pick up a box and throw that one. And then there'd be another box down there. And what ended up happening was a box would get created and it would fall about two inches and end up falling off center. And the next time something got moved, another box would fall mostly off center. And then it would just explode in boxes. As it would make another box that would then collide with the previously created box that wasn't any longer in the sphere, falls off to the side, and then gets pushed out by other boxes. And so there's just, it was a box geyser. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, was it just like your sphere, was that just a trigger collider? Basically, yeah. So like it detected any other collider and started its action, but it wasn't actually testing the other collider to see like... Should I only check for controllers? Should I only check for this tag? Or Yeah, I wasn't doing any of that kind of smart stuff. Um, but it did totally make boxes. Yeah, it did. And th- that was what was important. Um, the other big problem with it was that it never actually destroyed boxes. Mm-hmm. So eventually the performance got really bad. I think there is a... just t- spitting out cubes everywhere. Now they were falling off to the side eventually and then falling down with gravity, right? Yeah. So I think there is, I'm not sure if it's on by default or something I saw somewhere at some point, but there is some kind of setting in Unity of like things get below a certain point and they just get destroyed. Yeah. So it's like cheap object destroy. Eh, Just throw it over the world. Yeah. The performance stayed decent too long for there to not be something that was killing boxes um so and then the other thing that i realized as i was messing with that is i mean there was a lot of hopes that i could jump through to fix that and i never really fixed it um because in the end i didn't actually want one of those i just wanted easy access to boxes Mm -hmm. um so i pulled that out entirely and now, when you pull the trigger, a box appears on the end of your hand. Just like in the <laughs> real world. Exactly. It's just box. And then you can throw the box, and you hit the trigger, and another box is in your hand. You can just keep 
throwing boxes all day long that way. And that's that really accomplishes everything that I needed from that particular feature right now. Later, it will be much more of a question of what the heck is actually going there. There may even I may even end up reusing some of the old stuff, or at least conceptually the old stuff, because I've considered adding a like a fire hose for boxes, hmm. like just being able to just kind of point a cannon and just an endless stream of you know one foot by one foot cubes just start flying out the end of it. I was thinking of something similar, but with the uh, bow and arrow mechanic. Only you you put an arrow on, (laughs) but instead of firing an arrow, what actually gets released is like an airplane or a rocket or a space shuttle. And it it starts off at the same size as the arrow, but as it gets further away, it grows in size up to full size. Like just launching, you know, shuttles or something. Yeah. Way back in the day, there was a... A game called for the Mac called Marathon, which is an early first-person shooter. And one of the mods for it changed your pistol into a rocket launcher. So it still looked like a pistol, but it had... But it fired rockets. And so it had a higher rate of fire and a really large magazine size. And every time you fired, you got a rocket coming out with the full smoke contrail and everything. And there were a lot of rockets flying around that board. Um, boy, that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of long lunch breaks. Anyway, um, so I was making boxes and throwing boxes around, and okay, great, all of that works. Now, what are we going to do with that? And I've always been fascinated by the mechanics and the visual effects of things like gravitation. It's action at a distance. So, uh, magnetism, gravitation, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And so what I did was I made myself a small black hole. (laughs) Oh, I'm just getting started. I'll just make a black hole. Sure. Sure. No problem. Um, show off. <laughs> it's it's really not that complicated. It's so not complicated that it's probably wrong. Nice. Is is really the way it works. Um so what I did was I made a little thing and and it's just a sphere. Made it black and attached a script to it that will um that applies a force to all currently visible cubes <laughs> as gravitation would. Um, and the force falls off by the square of the distance in the same way that gravity does. And so if you get beyond a particular distance, there's basically no effect for the thing. But within that distance, it gets pulled towards this black hole in a very organic sort of way. Which, it just looks cool. Yeah. So Dave sent me a video of this before we started recording, and I will try to get that up on the YouTube channel and link to in the show notes. But, uh, yeah, just throwing boxes, looks like in the middle of three black holes, and then just Mm -hmm. watching how the force works on those, and they kind of 
Some of them swing around, some of them go straight into the black hole, some of them kind of orbit around a couple of times and then fly off like a slingshot maneuver. So lots of different effects. So the, um, the question is, can you throw black holes? You could totally throw black holes. Because how, like, I'm going to need that in my game. right? <laughs> Throwing black holes? Uh-huh. Um, so... The trick is just to figure out how the black hole is affected by other things. Mm -hmm. So, will a black hole move towards a wall? Mm -hmm. Or, will a black hole move towards a box? Or, does the black hole basically just move wherever the heck it wants to move? And isn't affected by anything as unmassive as just a cube sitting in your hand? It would be really cool if it could find the exact center of an area that it's thrown into. So if you're in a hallway and you throw it down the hallway, maybe it rolls on the floor or bounces off the ceiling, but then it lands in the middle of the hallway, kind of right in the air. Okay. Well, that's something that you have control over. So figure that out. But once it's in a place, it can just be a black hole. It's just a point of attraction. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the the way that it ends up working, like right now in my code, for each of those black holes, I apply a small force to the cube. So this particular cube is sitting on the ground in front of me, and each of the three black holes in front of me are each pulling on it a little bit in slightly different directions. And if that's enough... To make the cube start moving, as it gets closer to those, that force will get greater until the thing's literally flying through the air. And depending upon where that that force ends up being applied, it may fly off into outer space, or it may just go into orbit around one of them, or it may impact on one of them. And I had to make a, add a thing that makes it so that if you collide with a black hole you just disappear mm -hmm. um but so far it's working relatively well i played with upwards of eight or ten black holes um past a particular point it just kind of becomes chaotic yeah like you don't have any idea what's going to happen when you throw a cube there's just there's too many different forces scattered around and it's tough to see what's going on um, but the performance is pretty decent. The other way you can tackle the thing is basically if you take the force vectors from all the various, all the various black holes that are acting on a cube, you could go find all of those black holes, generate a force vector of length, amount of force to each one of those things add all those vectors together and what you will get is the vector that your thing should actually fly. Hmm. Um, just one of the fun things of the way force works. So eventually that will probably be a easier way to do it rather than applying five or ten different force vectors. The other thing that you can do relatively easily is apply some distance culling yeah. You know, for a particular force, how far out can an object be before it's 
that force is negligible. As soon as it crosses that threshold, okay, great. Now I only need to care if something is within 50 meters. Because outside of 50 meters, you can't notice the gravitational pull. And so you could very quickly cull through a large stack of these and just ignore the ones that don't matter. See what I mean? Mm -hmm. Cool. So the first two things you do in VR development are make a a box spawning geyser in a black <laughs> hole system. The black hole system was intentional. And you've been procrastinating why? <laughs> I've been procrastinating for exactly this reason. <laughs> this is a hole with no bottom. Well, yeah, it's a black hole. <laughs> exactly. So now can you please get to work on a Big Bang? That strikes time. me as a large number of particles. <laughs> Build your scenes from a Big Bang. So, yeah. So, uh, lessons from this. Things which I have learned since we're kind of talking about learning this stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, first thing is VR bugs are always worse than normal bugs. Yes. Like any any normal bug that you could write in any normal program, the smallest VR bug is two or three times worse than the normal bug across the board. Because in a normal bug, it's your program that's broken and you see the bug and you go, okay, the thing is broken. Let me go fix that. And a VR bug means the world is broken. <laughs> like reality has become damaged. And it's really, really visually disturbing when you you can pick up the box. And when you let the box go, the box falls and everything's fantastic. And then you pick up the box and you throw it and it flies 90 degrees to the direction of your throw. That is not just slightly disturbing. <laughs> that is very disturbing. Sounds like a feature. I, I was just thinking that maybe you could make a game out of that. but um, Particularly if you can turn it on and off. Oh, God. So you got to throw 90 degrees away from the direction that you want the box to go. So it doesn't feel real, though. I don't know. You might be able to reprogram the human brain. <sighs> yeah, you could totally make that work. Question is, would it ever become fun? <laughs> and would it become more fun when you left VR... And you continued to want to push things the wrong direction. How badly can I reprogram the human brain? Yeah. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's just like the, the box geyser is amusing when you're watching it. It's practically terrifying when it explodes in front of your face. Not just but, at the computer, but like in your world yeah. with perfect shadows and everything, you pick up a box and the box in front of you just explodes in pieces. I don't know. I guess my time in Janus VR has prepared me for these types of things. <laughs> I've seen some pretty messed up stuff in there. So, Sure. Absolutely. So at, at any point, did you point the box geyser at the black holes? Um, no. I think that might be fun. 
A, the box geyser, I think, largely predated the black holes. Um, and I also didn't really have any... Like, the box geyser was a bug. Yeah. So I didn't have a steerability built into it. Though I yeah. could have gotten some of that. I started playing at one point with... Like, all the boxes were still responding to physics. So I pulled a box out of the stream, and then you could kind of hold it out, and it would start deflecting boxes. Mm-hmm. So you had a little bit of, like, bounceable steerableness, but it wasn't all that great. Um, but yeah, I've, I've considered making a, let's call it not so much a geyser, but a box hose, like a fire hose. You just squeeze and fire off the stream of boxes so you could see how different it would be easier to see how shooting boxes in different directions would have different effects or like see if you can like make a fire hose of particles that you can fire at one of your black holes and see if you can make an accretion disk or form a planet out of it or something like that like can you get these things to stay in orbit can you get them to not collide with it? Like, so they move towards it until a certain point and then they're pushed back and then they've got like equal amounts of force drawing them to and away from the object. None of this is in any way productive, but it would be a lot of fun. <laughs> so I was originally looking for that. Um, the first thing that happened was before I made it so that the boxes got destroyed by the, the singularities, um, they just stuck to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you could build these weird sculptures yeah. by throwing boxes at the things and they would just kind of stick to kind of wherever they were. Part of the other difficulty was that the initial, my first estimate for what the force number should be on the singularities was really high. <laughs> so you could turn around and throw a box in the other direction and it would fly back through you and just stick to the nearest singularity. Like there was no, there was no curving. It didn't matter. It pulled everything in. That kind of very, very quickly. That kind of makes me think like you could have. You've got your VR area with you know whatever room setup you've got. You've got a bunch of three D objects in it that you've arranged, and you want to change it. You just pull out your black hole and kind of hose everything up, suck everything up. And now you've got a blob of all your three D objects. You can just carry around and grab from and replace stuff. Particularly if you can scale them all down to like, you know, 5% of their size. Oh, where's the fun in that? (laughs) (laughs) No, it's your own personal handheld Katamari Damacy. Yeah. Or just you make the player's head the black hole. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Just don't turn the force on for the first five seconds of the game and then just... (laughs) Um, there's a lot of fun you can have when you start playing with gravity. Yeah. That's, that's all I'm saying. I haven't found the game yet, but there's some fun here to be had. I just got to play with it a little more and see exactly where I want to go with it. Um, I have decided that in total, I think the TP cast is worse for development Mm. than wired vr um though there's some caveats to that that make it a little weird so the first part is like you have to take the headset off a lot when you're developing yeah but there's also the belt 
So you take the headset off and you set it next to you, but now you're effectively chained to your desk. Mm. Oh, you mean this like, is the only? I forgot about the belt. This is like a battery case or something. Yeah, there's a battery pack. So you can take that off, but then to go back into VR, you have to kind of belt that thing back on. If you want to, if you want to step more than one step, like that cord is not even the length of the height of my body. So I can't just set the battery pack on the floor and take a couple of steps. Mm-hmm. It's just long enough to reach my waist. So effectively what I end up doing is, is I end up chained to the desk, mostly by the belt being on my waist and the headset being next to the computer. And that totally works. And when I'm ready to go ahead and try something, I can grab the headset, take a step back, pop it on and be ready to go. And, and so on the one side, it's really obnoxious that you are chained to the desk. The positive side is you're chained to the desk. <laughs> you're not going to go walking off and doing something else. You're here to do VR development. Mm-hmm. So you're just kind of stuck there. Advantage, disadvantage. Yeah. But if you just want to quickly pop the headset on and take the headset back off and keep doing development, the TP cast is actually kind of a pain in the butt. Yeah. Um, there's also the fact that, as we previously discussed, the TP cast has a high-pitched whine to it. <laughs> it's from the base station. Um, kind of over. It's at the far corner of the room from where my desk is. But it's still a high-pitched whine. This is only obnoxious when I'm in VR for probably the first 30 seconds and the last 5 seconds of a play session when I'm getting the thing set up and then taking everything off because for the rest of it I've got the headphones blaring in my ears and I don't care about this small high-pitched whine off kind of in the distance. Mm -hmm. But when I'm programming, I don't have anything covering that. (laughs) And I don't want to completely shut down the TPCast's wireless system in between test runs because that's just another step of something that I would have to take down and then put back up before I could do another test. So you just let it run and it whines and drives the the dog completely bonkers. Uh, Not not like the the dog hearing high-pitched whine as like, you know, trying to, scare the dog off but this is more in the realm of it seems to remind the dog of the sound that my xbox 360 fan makes and when the dog hears that fan he thinks that there's somebody coming over so he starts staring at the front door and barking because he thinks somebody's coming by so nice. it, you in may... that particular thing, it's not actually the TP cast that's annoying. It's my dog that's annoying. But that's aside from the fact. You may want to look into getting a second headset for development. Mm. So I've been using, I've done a lot of development with the Vive. But last couple of weeks, I've mostly been using the Lenovo Explorer headset for development, even though it's objectively a lower quality headset it's just way easier to put on and off or to just hold up your head look around it's much lighter the controllers are easier to keep in my pocket things like that so it's just it's just a handier device for those like 
you know, I need to put the headset on for 10 seconds to test something, especially with, I don't know if, if you have the problem as well, but with the Vive, it always takes me a couple of seconds to get it on just right and comfortable. Where I don't really have that problem with the Explorer, it just kind of pops right on, more like a hat. Um, I don't have too much difficulty with the Vive, although I've also gotten used to just kind of throwing it on and getting it close because I'm only going to be in VR for 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. Like, it doesn't have to be comfortable. It just has to be there for a second so I can make sure that when I throw this box, it moves the right direction. Um, so I'm not getting it comfortable enough for a hour-long play session yeah. when I'm doing my testing. Um, my entire room for VR is set up wrong if I really want to do development. Um, the two lighthouses effectively create two opposing corners of a rectangle mm -hmm. or square of sorts for the play space. In a perfect world, I kind of want one of those lighthouses to be in the corner where my computer is. Instead, my computer is in a third corner. Mm, and so that yeah, makes... It, go ahead. You're in a weird spot then. Yeah. So as I'm like putting on the headset, I'm mostly out of the play area. Like not quite, but really, really close. So if I'm just adjusting the headset with my left hand, I'm covering everything that the lighthouses can see. Because my body's blocking me from the other lighthouse. And so having my computer slash development station in the same corner as one of the lighthouses would be helpful. Yeah, so the way I have my office is my desk is in the middle of a wall. I have a lighthouse to the right of me in a corner and then another lighthouse to the left of me behind me in the other corner. And yeah. uh, so one of the one to the right of me can see the desk, the service of the desk, the headsets and controllers when they're on the desk and everything in front of me. And then the one behind me can obviously see everything behind me. It works out pretty well. Yeah, unfortunately, this is also my entertainment area with my home theater set up and stuff like that. So moving anything around is complicated. I mean, what I found with that, though, is... The more you tell your friends about the VR, the less they'll come over. Ah, so you may not you may not need to entertain friends anymore. You can probably get rid of them all. Yeah, when I talk about an entertainment area, I'm not talking about other human beings. It's for entertaining me. Oh, okay. <laughs> and there's just there's a lot of stuff there, and a lot of it is heavy. So moving it around is just a real pain. So, yeah. Kind of reminds me of my first VR game idea, which was a you know, semi-dystopian world where people are burning their belongings to power their VR rigs. <laughs> Did we discuss that one? I don't recall that idea. I don't know. I don't know if we did on the show or not. It was something I had, I thought about last year. But uh, basically you... You know, it's basically a resource gathering game where you've got a, you're in VR, 
your NVR in VR, and then you run out of power, you get kicked out into the not VR in VR, and you have to like go scavenge around <laughs> the town to find stuff. And there's a lot of book burning. You're burning books to uh-huh. stay in VR. And uh, yeah, just kind of a, a dreary look. I don't know if I'll I like make it. that. Um, and the, the last thing I think, or I think the last thing that I'm really realizing about this is very quickly I'm going to need a non-VR control setup mm-hmm. so that I have the ability to just hit play in Unity and using the keyboard and mouse throw a cube. Like, I, I'm going to need that ability, and I know it's going to be in there. I just haven't figured out how to make it work along with the full VR controller setup. Yeah. So there's a couple options, and they're all kind of limited in terms of actually doing interactions. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all fine for just looking around a scene and seeing how it looks in VR, or how it looks in 3D anyway. So the Steam VR stuff, they have a little simulator mode. Um, I'm not sure if it's built into that camera rig prefab, but it is in the interaction toolkit where you use it to play or prefab from there. When you run the game, there'll be a little simulate button in the bottom of the the, uh, scene view. The Vive has one too. It's a bit more basic. Um, And then VRTK has one. And theirs is probably the best, but it still involves like your... You're basically picking, like, what what am I right now? Am I the headset moving around? Okay, I'm going to move the headset into position. Okay, now I'm going to be the left controller and test some things. Okay, now I'm going to be the right controller and test some things. You're still kind of picking the object. Um, okay. So the, I mean, the other way to do it may just be to fake it. And, like, the scripts that you're writing to test for input when you're, like, spawning a box or picking something up, maybe just write a second check that checks for a key press or something for debugging. The biggest issue will be like when I click the trigger on the controller, a box appears in my hand, Mm -hmm. but the force that the box receives as it flies away is from my hand moving. Yeah. Um, So how do you simulate that? Yeah. Yeah. So when the mouse button gets released, I'm going to want, to apply a force to that one as it goes, which won't be hard. Um, basically point it off of where the camera is pointing, not point it off of where my hand is moving. Mm-hmm. That'll be fine. Or you can even use the, uh, you could use your trackpad and get like access values from that. So you can just get uh, X and Y values from that and use those to calculate the force. Could be yeah. nice. A nice workaround, if you have a trackpad on that computer. I do. Yeah. So that's the fun that I've been having. Um, I think, are you going to throw the other video up on the mm-hmm. YouTube feed? Yep. Okay. Then, yeah, you'll be able to see both the box geyser and um, a test with, what was it, three... It was just a couple of planes stuck together to make kind of a corner and three uh, little black holes, little black spheres. And then back in the very corner is a little white sphere that's actually a repulsor. 
it pushes away all those cubes that come near it. It's because I kept getting um, boxes stuck back in the corner. And they just kind of stack up and it only became interesting again once I had so many things back in the corner that any box that went back there would be close enough to the black holes that it got pulled back in for more action. And it was just easier to kind of stick a thing back there that just shoved everything back out of the way. So, and all that required doing was taking the the black hole code and making the force a negative. So I just thought of another use for your black hole. Yeah. You could uh, work this into some of the social VR apps and maybe give it to the moderators where if things are getting out of hand in a scene, a moderator can just pop into a scene, throw a black hole, gather up all the players, and despawn them. <laughs> Everybody out. Everybody in the corner. We've got to have a talk. <laughs> Adult swim, everyone. Adult swim only. Yeah. So I have been not not doing anything as fun as you. Um, it basically felt like a week of failures, of like not getting anything to work the way that I want to work. Um, so where do I start? I, last week I was failing at getting some basic movement in VR. And I just don't understand the vector math. Like I can get a third person player moving just fine. I can't get a VR player moving in the same way. Mm. Um, I found some examples and tried to work from those and just not getting what I want. So I figured I'd take another look at VRTK. So I made a project with VRTK in it and found, I think it was like example scene 17 where they've got trackpad based movement. And it's pretty customizable. I was able, like by default, it comes with um, axis-based movement on the Vive trackpad. So it does allow left and right movement. So I found a way to zero that out. So I'm, you're only getting forward and backwards. And then by default, it moves you forward based on the forward vector of the VR camera, which is cool, but there also is option to switch it to controller mode. And mm -hmm. I think that's definitely... I think that's just going to end up being a user preference that I put in because I like the controller mode, but I can definitely see how other people might not like it. Um, so I think I'll probably just leave that as a, a user preference if I ever make this into something that I can ship. But uh, I guess, you know, I got pretty far with that. And, I you know, so I made a list of other things like, do I want to use VRTK in the project or just what, do I want to use it right now for the prototype? So I made a list of like things that the game is already doing. Let's see if I can reproduce those using VRTK. And I uh, started working on that over the weekend and got pretty far except for the last little bit, which is laser targeting. Um, And essentially the way that the laser turrets work in the quote unquote real project is they just, the uh, sensor toolkit sensors scan for anything of a particular tag. And particularly they scan for anything with a rigid body and a collider that has a particular tag. So I just have like a laser target tag. And so the interactable objects that I have in the scenes all have that tag on them and then in the SteamVR player prefab that I made, 
um, I just made a head target object and figured out where that should go in the hierarchy. You know, made it a child of uh, I think the SteamVR eye camera, and then positioned it just where I wanted. And it's just a I think it's just an empty game object with a sphere collider and a rigid body, or maybe just a sphere collider. No, it does have a rigid body because that's what sensor toolkit looks for. Anyway. Can you um, call it an empty object if it has a sphere collider and a rigid body? <laughs> it was, I made a empty game object as in like right click, create empty, and then add things to it. I know. It, it was more like the VR version of a Zen cone. Yeah. So, and that worked just oh, yeah. fine. Yeah. Um, I did the same thing with the uh, Vive input utility when I made a, a player prefab with that. I just did the exact same thing, just attach it to a different camera, and that worked just fine as well. Getting that particular feature working in VRTK is proving a little bit more difficult because of the very, very cool, but very, very weird way that VRTK actually works. So when you're in a scene, you've got you get two main objects that you're working with in VRTK. One is the SDK manager, which has a bunch of scripts that manage the various platform SDKs. So the, you know, the Daydream and Cardboard SDK goes here, the Oculus DK, DK, uh, SDK goes here, the Steam VR one goes here, and then uh, the simulator one is always there. You can you know pick which ones you want to add to your project and just not include the ones that you don't want. And it's got some pretty nifty switching and you even while the app is playing you can switch targets and test with different stuff it's pretty cool and but what it actually does um there's another object where you're setting up your player object so you've got something called the player uh, the play area that holds a bunch of stuff about the controllers that are linked to it um what kind of just basically what kind of features from VRTK you're, you're going to be using. And then it has two controllers, like a left controller, right controller object. And you attach a bunch of, you know, I want these types of interactions. I want these types of movements, things like that. Um, and they handle all the controller events and stuff like that. So when you run the app, those things get used as a, like a reference for some other game objects that are created on at runtime inside the Steam VR, in, the, in this case, the Steam VR camera rig. So it uses the Steam VR camera rig. Oh, from there I got it. Okay, and, yeah. And creates a bunch of like auto generated game objects. And one of the things that it has is head collision, it's a head collision feature. Which is really cool. I don't know if you you've probably seen this in VR apps where you can just stick your head through a piece of geometry mm-hmm. and see the skybox or something. This has a feature to just black out the headset when that happens. So if the head hits a collider beyond a certain point, it just like fades to black and you you know back away and you're back in the scene. That feature is, is interfering with what I want. And uh, I can't figure out how to add that object so that it gets added dynamically with the rest of that stack of objects and when i added it directly to the steam vr camera eye it was breaking the other feature um basically it was detecting like something in one of those scripts just getting a list of colliders in that 
particular branch of objects, and assuming the first one that it finds is the head collider. But uh, there were two of them instead of the one that it's supposed to have, so that was breaking things. So it was not, I mean, it's the game is almost working, or at least the sandbox is almost working the, to the same point that I had, aside from that one feature, I just, I can't get the, the turrets to actually target the player and I'm not sure if there's another way to do it. Um, I can't just make the entire region, the uh, the entire player prefab part of the laser target, because then it just sh shoots in the middle of that, and I want it to shoot to kind of at the player's head, but a little bit below. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Do you have any ideas? Because I've been stuck on it all afternoon. <clears throat> I haven't looked at the player movement stuff yet so i don't know what's going on with the vector math you're talking about mm -hmm. yeah we'll come back to that that's a totally different problem <laughs> okay but i mean like how would you if you had to just add a target to something to a player or make a player a target a targetable object hmm Well, you could always fake attach the thing. So you could make a object that moves itself. So the script is set up so that it knows where basically the player's head is. And then every frame, you just move it. Okay. So, just so make... it's not part of the hierarchy at all. Yeah, just have it like feed it the the game object of what it should follow, and then mm -hmm. update its transform with the other one. That's not a bad idea. Um, second option is from the example that I was playing with um, for picking things up and dropping things. The tutorial that I was using was using a joint, mm -hmm. and so you could make an object and apply a fixed joint which still leaves the object entirely independent as far as the hierarchy is concerned, but will automatically apply those transforms. And then I don't have to update it every frame. Yep. Can you send me a link to that? Sure. Because that might be a good it was way from to... the way Ray Wenderlich tutorials. Um, but yeah, I'll send that to you. So something else that's been kind of... Uh, Kind of eating away at the back of my mind is that, you know, I'm looking at Steam VR stuff, I'm looking at the HTC stuff, I'm looking at the VRTK stuff, and like I'm a guest in all of these platforms and all of these SDKs and just like trying to figure out the way that they're made, the way that they're made to be used, things like that. And there's like the slow but inevitable conclusion to every project I've ever worked on is always screw it I'll do it myself like every other time that I start a project with some kind of framework I eventually run into confusion or limitations and just end up writing the entire thing from scratch which is what I did with random arrow that's what I did with that last PHP app that I made like mm -hmm. you know I started with a framework and ended up just writing all of the PHP myself like it's just not worth it to use all these other things um, so I'm wondering if I should just give up and do that here and just not even 
like just remove Steam VR, remove VRTK, and just use the default Unity XR interfaces, create a camera, and just kind of like build from the ground up. It would take way, 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 way longer, but I would at least know how my code works when it's done, <laughs> which is like, that's the worst part about like, yeah, VRTK. I just like, this is a black box to me. Like I can kind of, you know, take it apart and figure out how individual things work, but there's so much going on there. And he's covered, like he's a really good developer and he's covered so many edge cases and fixed so many bugs from the community and like added so many features. Like it is a, it is a full-blown VR solution, but I don't know how it works. Yeah, my general tendency in most of the development that I've done is to avoid big complex frameworks. Mm-hmm. Most of the frameworks that I play with are either the default ones. So, I mean, technically, Unity itself is just a big framework. Yeah. Um, or things that are basically lightweight wrappers. So, something that just just wraps up some of like the init and takedown code and maybe makes instantiation a little easier in the middle... And maybe some slightly easier language for moving some things around. But you can kind of look at the object or look at the function that you're calling and go, I bet I know exactly what that's doing. You know, and that that is a tendency to be the level of framework that I end up messing with as a general rule of thumb. Um, for exactly that reason. If, if I don't understand what's going on, I have no ability to fix anything. Yeah. So what I would need to learn, like bare minimum for my game, um, and this is just knowing what I know now about the project, is I need to learn how to build a basic movement system where you push on the trackpad anywhere above the center of it, you should go forward, and anywhere below the center of it, you should go backwards. And uh, you should move on the forward vector or the Z axis for whichever one of those objects you've specified. So just keeping it simple, just for the camera object, you move forward and vector on the Z axis of the uh, VR camera, whatever VR camera object you're using. And then as that rotates, your movement adapts itself to that. And that sounds simple, and I can get that working with a third-person player or just any other game object just fine. But as soon as I throw it on that type of script on a VR object, it just doesn't work. I end up, I, I, I can't figure out how to normalize the vector so it just stays on one plane. Um, Maybe I just need to show somebody else. Like I just get really confused with this type of vector stuff. Okay. And uh, well, uh, let's do a code review. Yeah. The other yeah, things I would need screen and go from there. The other things I would need would be picking objects up, um, which sounds like you just sent me a link to with those joint. That that joint thing could actually be exactly what I need because some of the stuff in VRTK by default it picks things up by its pivot point or you can add, like attach specific points on the objects, and I don't really want that. Um, 
I'm going to have big, awkward, unwieldy objects, and I don't want them like snapping to a pivot point of that object. Right. Yeah, this joint is pretty simple, and it's like f- six lines of code. Um, and then the there's other- even some stuff in there that talks about uh, break force or break torque. So you can make the objects easy or hard to get knocked out of your hand. Hmm. Which is kind of cool. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, because it, be, it would be pretty cool if the lasers are eventually applying force to the objects. Mm-hmm. And some of them, I think, could just destroy objects after you know one or two or five seconds, depending on the strength of the object. But some of them could apply force and kind of like knock the object out of your hand mm-hmm. or just throw it up out of the uh, target area. Yep. Of course, you can do that without using this break force. I think this is more along the lines of I'm holding the thing in front of me and now I'm rotating and I'm hitting a wall. Mm-hmm. Like, is that going to remove the thing from my hand or not? But still, yeah, no, it's all cool. And then the other things I would need would be some kind of basic laser pointer system and or um, being able to interact directly with Unity's uh, user interface objects with the controllers. Right. And I'd probably want both of those. I tend to like the controller option myself, but I know a lot of people just want laser pointers. Or at the very least, I could make a, you know, when you bring up the menu, make a game object that the player is then holding and can smack the buttons with that. So those would be the kind of core features that I know I need to learn. Um, and then kind of don't know beyond there. The Some of the weird things of like, with just the movement stuff, like how do you account for movement if the player is crouching down when they start moving and then they stand up? Or if the the plane that you're going across runs into a slope. How do you go up the slope and keep the player at the same height from the floor of the slope as they were from the floor of the plane? Things like that. Right. Like, these are things that are all solved in VRTK that are not solved in Joe RTK. <laughs> Joe TK. The super broken framework that will never be released. <laughs> so yeah, what do you think? Should I try to build it myself? And by myself, I mean mostly you. <laughs> um, it, let's let's take another stab and see if we can either fix VRTK or maybe just roll back and get you the functionality that you need from the Vive interaction stuff or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because so- I'm not I'm not necessarily ready to throw the frameworks away but then again i haven't spent as long banging my head against them as you have yeah if i could just get back to just using steam br and get everything i want from the camera rig or the interaction toolkit i'd be totally fine with that it's just like the what i was running into with the with the camera rig prefab was it didn't do anything else other than just here's the controllers in the scene and then the interaction stuff it was just having that lack of uh, event listeners for the controller inputs. So if I can fix those limitations, 
And yeah, it'd be nice to just use that and leave the others out entirely. I mean, the other option is to try to fix that issue with the VRTK project, and then I pretty much have everything I need, at least for the prototyping stage, and maybe I just continue working with that and get to the point where I can see if I have a viable project or viable game idea. And if I do, after that phase, then I can look at building it from the ground up or using Steam VR or one of the other options. Yeah, so the problem with the uh, the event listeners for the button, do you have the ability to pull that button? Yes, and that was that was kind of my gripe about it was like that was the only way to get those buttons is to pull them constantly. And, you know, there's there are things that I keep worrying about with Unity that end up apparently being things that I don't actually have to worry about. Yeah. Like, if I'm pulling the status of a button on the controller 60 times a second, it's that that code has been optimized to the point that that is one of the completely acceptable ways to do the entire control interface for your game. Like, you can do the controls for a first-person shooter using that methodology. And just every 60 times a second, it checks every single button that's part of your control scheme on the keyboard to figure out what the user is trying to tell it to do. It, it's slightly obnoxious looking, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's a performance issue. Yeah, I mean, unless it's, it's actually a performance issue for you. It feels horribly wrong to me, but I didn't really like profile it. Yeah, that's... I keep, like... I was concerned about looking at all these little gravitational things on the ground. And the thing is... There's just a lot of overhead, or or there, there's there's a lot of of headroom for doing things that are not rendering related, like throwing polys on the screen can be expensive. Mm-hmm. But almost everything that's happening at the code level, if it's happening purely in the background, the performance on all of that has been almost zero. Hmm. For almost any single thing that I want to do, and so if you say, well, do nothing 60 times a second it still ends up adding up to something that approximates nothing (laughs) as far as total time consumption goes that's the uh, dave quote of the year (laughs) um if we were to do some kind of crowdfunding campaign that'll be in the uh, demo video (laughs) (laughs) we'll pull that one back out for our 60th episode yeah um (laughs) Nice. 60 times and nothing. Let me make a reminder in my system for that. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not worried about it. Like every single time I started trying to worry about trying to code around a limitation I imagined for unity. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a limitation. Hmm. I think I think we're bumping into a classic example of premature optimization. Until what we yeah. do actually makes the thing slow, stop worrying about it. Yeah, and I, I know I have this tendency, we talked about it before, at least on our old podcast, that I have this tendency with FileMaker of 
most people build something and then they optimize it. And I know FileMaker well enough that I just optimize it at every step of the way. Right. And then I do maybe a security pass and a, another optimization pass at the end of the project. But I'm just at the point where like I don't write a script without lots of error handling and debugging built in. Like it just doesn't happen. It used to bug the crap out of an employer of mine where we'd be doing a code review and we'd be like, okay, just write the script. And I would start writing like all this boilerplate. He's like, no, 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 just write the script. Like, hold on. I got this. (laughs) I'll be with you in a moment, Greg. (laughs) Um, I need to stop doing that. Basically what I'm saying. I'm I'm bringing that same nasty habit to uh, unity. I'm going to draw a distinction between error handling and carefully tracking your code and writing code that doesn't look like the most efficient code you can write, but seems to be efficient anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, you should always put in the error checking and, you know, making sure that when you grab the object, it's not a null before you start throwing activate or actions at it. Um, you know, that kind of checking is fantastic. You should do that every time, and that's a bunch of stuff. Um, but yeah, the, the, I don't think the controls are an issue. It it may turn out at some point that it will turn out that I was totally wrong about that, but there are enough people that are doing stuff by polling rather than action based. Or event-based. Well, cool. I will... Yeah, I'll put together some demos or like three different sandbox scenes this week and then see if I can grab some time with you for a quick code review. Okay. Between maybe now and next week. So there's one other topic or two other quick topics. I know we're running kind of long here, but I wanted to get your thoughts. We didn't talk about this last week for some reason, but you had a chance to take a look at the... 85 pound laptop that I carry around and the <laughs> Windows Mixed Reality headset. I wonder what you thought of that headset. Uh, I mean, your first impression was kind of funny that it could barely fit on your head. Yeah, I, I have a large noggin and it needs one or two more notches in the strap before there's really room for my head in there. Uh, it fit, but just barely. The problem really was getting the thing on, like around my glasses and stuff. But yeah. it was. It looked like it a, was pushing a little firmly. It looked like a potato wearing a rubber band. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um. Now we need a new logo. <laughs> um. <laughs> anyway so um the controller i liked i mean it's silly and uncomfortable mm-hmm. but it tracks dramatically better than the one for i'm, I'm having a brain fart right Day- now daydream daydream that's hey, that one yeah. doesn't track that's why yes yes well but, but daydream kind of tries to track 
it, it fakes tracking with motion tracking mm-hmm. and it was always when the when the discrepancies built up that it started to be a problem where the pointer was definitely not where my hand was um so this one's ability to actually track where the controller is great i can actually set aside the necessity for tracking when the controller is out of my line of sight mm-hmm. like behind my back you know it's a it's a really nice feature in the vive but i could give it up if i had dramatically simpler vr I, um, I did find like i mentioned before that it, i didn't think bow and arrow mechanics would work with it it does work if you're reasonably good at the game so like thinking of quiver as an example if you're pulling an arrow back with the bow or pulling the bow back to the point where your controller is right beside your head the field of view on the camera does wrap around pretty far like it's it's got a a much bigger field of view than i do in the headset and it can see pretty far back and there is still some basic motion sensors built into the controller that Mm -hmm. it's kind of guessing what's happening for that couple of seconds while it's behind your head now if you leave it there it's eventually gonna derp out and go crazy but (laughs) if you're just like confidently pulling back and firing then it's pretty good now i'm terrible at bow and arrow games so couldn't really judge how accurate it was or if it was making me worse than I already was, but yeah. So the the tracking was pretty good. Um, the fact that the controller lights up is a little goofy, but mm-hmm. sure works for me. Um, so yeah, I mean it, the the lack of six axis was that something that you turned off or? Yeah, so we were sitting at a table, um, and so I didn't. We we didn't have a big enough area for me to actually map it out. So it defaults to a three degree of freedom view when you're sitting, and it's pretty easy when you pop in the headset and turn on the mixed reality app. There's just a little like room setup thing where you can either just default it to uh, sitting mode, and then it'll just be what you saw, where you just have rotation without position. Mm Or you can uh, quickly just trace the play area that you want. And you just the way you do that is you center the VR headset towards the computer and then push the trace button and then just walk around holding the headset and like pointing it towards the origin point, towards the computer. And just walk in a circle and come back and then you've got this play area. So you didn't get to see that because the room we were yeah. in at the meetup we were at didn't really have room. But... uh it's it's way handier. It's way quicker than the Vive room setup, but you have to do it way more often. So like every time okay. I um, like there, it doesn't save like profiles. So when I'm at home in my office, I have to set it up, and then I go to the co-working space, I have to set it up again. Then I come home, and I gotta set it up again. So ugh, it doesn't remember anything like that. So it, in general, I wasn't really pleased with Daydream. Daydream didn't tick enough of the boxes for me to really feel it didn't provide the immersion that I really wanted from VR. Mm -hmm. This was let's call it split the difference and maybe a little bit more over towards the Vive side. And so in general, I was dramatically more pleased by this than by 
the daydream setup. It was still not quite what I get out of the Vive, Definitely but it also not. didn't have all of the overhead of some of the Vive. So, yeah. So, if, if it was sized for my noggin, maybe we could have a conversation about it. I I generally like it, um, and I, I use it for development, and I use the Vive as well. But the things that, like the, the Windows Cliff House is pretty cool. Things look really nice there. The, the times that I really notice how crappy the screen is in there is when I go to someplace that's really familiar to me like the Steam VR Home or Hollow Ball mm. or something like that, the colors are just washed out and drab. It's like I'm looking through an Instagram filter or something. <laughs> it, yeah, it's not. It's like, where? what happened? It almost feels like going to Steam VR Home after it was abandoned for a long time. It's like, it all kind of looks dirty. Post-apocalyptic <laughs> yeah. Steam VR. And it's just because the lower quality screen and, yeah. Other than that, like I don't really notice it when I'm just working on my projects or in the Windows Mixed Reality Cliff House or in any of its apps. But I, I generally, you know, I mostly like this headset because of what it can get me for development. Um, I'm still not like if any of my friends who want to just get into VR for the sake of playing games, I will definitely push them towards the Vive because I think yeah. it's just a way better experience. But it is nice to be able to, you know, some of the other benefits from it of like, I want to watch a movie in VR. Maybe I don't want to watch it in Daydream for whatever reason, even though I do that quite a bit. Um, I want to use this headset. I can just take my laptop out to the living room and put it in that sitting mode and not have any chaperone lines around me and just sit wherever I want. Um, so that part's pretty nice. But uh, yeah, it's just not as good for games. It's definitely cool for for using Windows and for like developing in Unity from NVR is still pretty cool. That coolness factor has not worn off on me yet. Yeah, I I really like your laptop. It's humongous. Um, it's even bigger when it's next to Joe. I think you described it uh, as a Dave sized laptop in front of a Joe sized person. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I found it amusing that we couldn't quite seem to get the eye tracking to notice where my eyes were properly. Yeah. Um, the eye tracking seemed like a really cool feature when you were using it. When <laughs> I was trying to use it, it didn't. It always thought that my eyes were looking an inch and a half to two inches lower on the screen than they actually were. And so I had to aim at the wrong part of the screen to get the pointer to go to the right part of the screen. Mm-hmm. But, geek, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, one of these days I'm going to make a game with the eye tracking. I downloaded their SDK to play around with it. But I thought of like a quick, basically uh, take an endless runner, but play it with your eyes and call it an endless looker. But the way, okay. the way you move through the game is by not looking at any of the obstacles. So if you look at them, then you immediately crash into them. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> I think it sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> so you can just have like all kinds of absurd things showing up on the, on the screen, but just don't look at them. Just don't look at them. Uh, 
You got little clowns popping up and honking at them. and mm-hmm. Look at me! Death stars exploding, <sighs> all kinds of stuff. <laughs> Joe's land of obnoxious games. Yeah. If only I had time to make them all. So, one other quick topic, and this isn't a development topic, but this was just a game that I found last night and I started playing, and I think me starting this game, the world has finally reached peak Joe. I think I have reached my final form and become just a mockery of myself at this point. Okay. Because I am playing Walden the game. As in, <laughs> as in Henry David Thoreau in a cabin in the woods as a video game. And it's awesome. <laughs> And uh, yeah, basically it's, you know, it's as accurate as possible. They recreated Concord and the cabin in the woods and you go around and basically you you start by like doing a little bit of construction on your house and you got to mend your clothes and get food and plant some beans and run some errands for people in town and, you know, just all the stuff that he wrote about in the book. And like as you navigate around you find arrowheads and every arrowhead you find is another quote from the book so he's just kind of narrating things as you pick up objects and then adding to your daily journal so (laughs) the way you save your game is by reaching the end of the day and reflecting on your day (laughs) (laughs) so at the end of the day you go through all of the like quotes and memories for that day get compiled into your journal and you can flip through that. But at one point I was standing, I was, you know, I'm Henry David Thoreau. I'm standing by a campfire outside of my cabin reading the Iliad. Like, yep, this is about as Joe as it gets. (laughs) Peak Joe. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I will link to that. It's, uh, I think it was made by Tracy Fullman, who is just an amazing game designer. I read one of her books recently. And I don't know how I missed this game existing. It's been out for like six months and I never heard of it. But uh, it's available on itch.io for like 18 bucks. So if you need something chill to play, this is a good one to check out. That's our show for today. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm VRHermit underscore Dave. And I'm VRHermit underscore Joe. If you get a chance, please like us or review us in your podcast player of choice. And please tell your friends. Thanks for listening.